is the Light and Life Podcast, and I'm your host, Brett Heinzman. In this special series of podcasts, I'm interviewing bishop nominees for the 2023 election coming up at General Conference in July. Please take a moment to listen to each of these podcasts and get to know our nominees both professionally and personally. Today, we're beginning with Pastor Kay Coldy from the Arbor Church in Spring Arbor, Michigan. So let's enjoy this conversation, get to know her, and be in prayer for her as she navigates this season leading up to the election for General Conference. Welcome to the Light and Life Podcast. I'm Brett Heinzman, and today I'm joined by Pastor Kay Coldy from the Arbor Church in Spring Arbor, Michigan, one of our bishop nominees for GC23. Welcome, Pastor Kay. Hi, thank you for inviting me to be with you today. I'm looking forward to it. Great. Well, we are going to jump right in with a list of questions. And just for our listeners to know, all of these questions are being asked of all of the Bishop nominees. So as you listen to the podcast, you can hear the responses to the questions. So let's just start right with our first one. And that is, what is exciting you about the thought of being elected as a bishop? The first thing that comes to my mind with that question is, I am excited to work with so many amazing leaders and pastors and people in different aspects of free Methodist ministry. That is very energizing to me to be working with other leaders and people who are investing themselves so fully in the church. So I think that's the most exciting thing. I'm a collaborative leader. I like to work in teams of people and even being with the group during board of administration or superintendent leadership team meetings recently was very energizing to me because I'm encouraged by all those people investing themselves in the denomination. You know, our denomination is not unique from other denominations. We have some challenges. And just curious, from your point of view, what do you believe is the greatest challenge facing the Free Methodist Church as a denomination? And then the secondary part of that question is, as a bishop, how would you lead the church through that time of challenge? Of course, all movements, as they get formalized and there is a system developed, it creates some ways that there's an impediment to actually moving. There are structures that come into place when at the beginning of a movement, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is often leading in unexpected and surprising ways. And so I think the challenge for us now is to take our incredible history, which even begins with Wesleyan Methodism, and then moving into B.T. Roberts and the founding of the Free Methodist Church, these things that created movement that we want to continue and replicate and the things that are distinctive about us as Free Methodists being a basis for freedom to move again. And I look at just the leadership development piece, this was something that I started to take note of three or four years ago when occasionally people would comment about me being the young leader in the room and I was, you know, 45, 46, 47. And so I started to ask, what are the stats on our leadership? You know, how many leaders do we have under the age of 40? in the denomination and was very surprised mm. to find that those percentages were very low. Um, and so I think some of our challenge is moving into a new generation of leadership and what the church will look like building on what we have had, but not constricted by what we have had. Um, 
I know that as I learn more, I will discover different ways that some of our challenges intersect. But at this point in time, this is something that I already see and have experienced on the ground in local churches and talking, you know, in conference leadership and things like that. Um, how do we create freedom for movement while still being a unified denomination with our distinctives? Um, this next one is one that we have not talked about quite openly, except in leadership circles. But, you know, one of the greatest societal challenges that faces our denomination um, and other denominations, and we've seen other denominations kind of embroiled in controversy around it, is sexual tensions, sexual orientation and identity. And so the first question that I have for you is, do you as a nominee for bishop fully align with our traditional sexual ethic, this believing that marriage and sexual union are reserved for one man and one woman? But out of that, how do we learn to love our neighbor regardless of sexual orientation and yet minister the truth of the gospel? It really is something that is pressing in our day. So um, how, do you, how do you respond to those questions? Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked such a simple question. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yes, I fully align with the perspective of the Free Methodist Church, and I have been challenged in this and questioned on this by some of my friends in other denominations and movements, and I feel that I have examined scripture, I have had relationships, I've done other reading, and I still return to the perspective that we hold in the Free Methodist Church, defining you know, marriage as a covenant between one man and one woman. And our desire for holiness includes a complete sexual ethic. That's not just about LGBTQ relationships, but really all parts of human sexuality being submitted to the Lordship of Jesus and seeking holiness and wholeness in that. I only foresee that these challenges increase. I, I don't think there's any solution for us to position ourselves in a way where we somehow are reducing tension while preaching the gospel. I mean, we know that the gospel will be offensive to some. The call to holiness will be offensive to some. But at the same time, we've often failed to be loving We've often failed to understand what celibacy requires of a same-sex attracted person to really support them and walk with them in that. And so there are ways where I certainly agree with Dr. Cromwell that there is a, a middle way or a third way to respond to the issue. So, and not just the issue, but humans that God loves that are in the midst of incredible struggle. And in some cases, I think people are um, very spiritually mature and dealing with same-sex attraction and issues of their identity while trying to pursue holiness. And in other cases, we're talking about people that have no knowledge of who Jesus is. They have no knowledge of the word of God. And so those are very different scenarios for us to engage in our local churches, of course, right? Um, I think sometimes we're talking about 
people who would be in this category of LGBTQ or plus, and we're lumping them in with one group when really there's a wide variety of people involved and the church needs to have different responses in that. So to say more about that, I, I think those who would consider themselves followers of Jesus and same-sex attracted are making sacrifices for holiness when they commit to celibacy that I will never have to make as someone who mm. is able to be married um, to the love of my life and have that part of our relationship um, blessed and holy before the Lord. So I want to honor and support those folks who are making that kind of sacrificial commitment to Jesus to sacrifice that part of their lives in order to be holy. And I have found that many people have never thought of it that way. If you're same-sex attracted, but you are adhering to a traditional view of marriage between one man and one woman, you are basically sacrificing that part of your experience. The same way that someone who's unmarried um, and single and hasn't met someone as a partner would be sacrificing that experience to be holy. So that's a whole different scenario than someone who has very little knowledge of God mm. um, and encounters the church as, you know, just unloving, misunderstands who they are, doesn't accept their identity, things like that. And that's a place where um, I do think as much as we are loving and welcoming, some people will reject our stance, our conviction, and that that's unavoidable. Others will appreciate the hospitality and welcome in a church while understanding a difference of opinion um, or conviction, not just opinion. These are our beliefs and our convictions from scripture. So um, there is not a, a one size fits all answer for the type of um, relationships and people and opinions and perspectives that we encounter when it comes to LGBTQ folks and how we help them experience life and wholeness in Christ. Thank you. That's a very thoughtful response. Appreciate that very much. Um, thinking about your own personal leadership now for a moment, what has been one of your own personal leadership challenges and how did you lead through it or get through it? I am wired as an apostolic leader, meaning I think God leads me and encourages me, empowers me by a spirit to start new things or take on new challenges. And those new things are always with a vision of kingdom fruitfulness and kingdom expansion in mind. And so I can see it. And yet many people are not wired that same way. And so I have to be very mindful and sensitive of those who are not seeing that and what they're feeling is the grief of change. Mm. And I am very aware that 
lots of changes bring people grief to different levels, right? This is even related to the idea of whether you're an early adopter, you know, a, a late adopter on the other end of the spectrum that we all hear about. So I have in my leadership had to be extra aware and intentional to be sensitive to those who are grieving any change because it changes loss and we all know this. But for me, I'm already looking ahead at why we would be willing to go through this kind of loss because I see ultimately God's given me a vision of, of what we're gaining and where we're going. And so I have to be extra sensitive and I have to be very intentional about communicating the vision and keep encouraging people that there is a why behind this um, that is God glorifying and is going to be life-giving to us and life-giving to others. Because if people uh, experience changes, just people's preferences, like I'm a new leader, so I would like a different way because it's my preference then that is not very loving. And so I've just found that um, that's something I have to pay extra attention to, and I've always wanted to pay extra attention to that. But not everybody loves change. That's not, I'm saying that with a smile on my face for you podcast listeners. We all know this. And um, when God has used me to bring change or newness, that's sometimes very challenging. You know, people don't often um, jump up and down about changes. I think it's very accurate what you say about early adopters, late adopters, and that change is loss. And I appreciate your sensitivity to people. All the while, God has given you a vision to see uh, to see things in the future, which actually is a great segue into my next question. Um, what do you see on the horizon as a preferred, preferred future for the Free Methodist Church? Mm. I definitely see a Free Methodist Church that begins to represent the kingdom of God with um, more diversity. And not just diversity in ethnicity or race or gender, but also in what our churches look like the expressions of church and the way that those are contextualized in urban and rural settings and with different ethnic or racial groups, I think that that is going to be a beautiful kingdom reflection that we're growing in. I was encouraged this year at one of our leaders gatherings to hear about some of the things that are happening in other pockets of the Free Methodist Church that I wouldn't have otherwise known of. And it's very encouraging to me, and I think that's where I see us going. That is our preferred future, where we're not, I mean, this country is not going to be homogenous. We know what that looks like according to statistics over the next 20 years. And so I don't think the Free Methodist Church is going to look the same and operate the same in all areas and pockets of our country, but I do think we're going to be um, unified under our distinctives, things like the Free Methodist Way, which I really appreciate. Like knowing who we are as one allows, with that unity, allows us our diversity and the ability to flourish in different places, um, which, you know, leads me back even to the way 
people are gifted, right? In the body, there's a unity and there's a diversity. And I think uh, the preferred future of the church includes that kind of unity and diversity that reflects real beauty in the kingdom of God. Mm, well said. Thank you. Has God given you any other visions, dreams, or words regarding your call to say yes to being considered as a nominee for the and for the church in general? And what are they, and how are you interpreting those? Mm -hmm. So it's been a number of years that um, new life has been a phrase that's just always on my lips. I had, When people ask me, what can I pray for, for you, for your church, for the Free Methodist Church, new life is just always the, the phrase that's there. And um, I think that for the future of the Free Methodist Church, that spirit-fueled movement that we hope to catalyze will bring new life in unexpected ways. Mm -hmm. I think anyone who hopes that they have, you know, a five-point plan for catalyzing a spirit-fueled movement might be getting ahead of the Holy Spirit. So that's one thing I've been praying about, is how do we actually lead as people dependent on the Spirit in the larger family of the Free Methodist Church. And then another thing that I have come back to again and again in times of prayer where I'm just really listening to the Lord is the phrase guiding, not guarding. Guiding, not guarding. So local churches on the ground and then the people in the churches who are the ministers, right, of the gospel, the ones that we want to equip to do the work of ministry, um, we want to consistently be guiding them according to our doctrine, our distinctives, our grounding um, with God-given revelation and the word and the spirit. But if we are continually trying to guard things, I think we impede the movement of the spirit. Mm. So I've just been sitting with that phrase a lot that we're guiding, not guarding because we're going to continue to have issues arise socially and politically that are challenges to us and our focus on the kingdom of God. I think we could keep trying to respond all the time to every issue, which is how I'm interpreting that phrase, um, trying to guard. And if we're always playing defense, right, you're never playing offense. Right. So to have the boundaries or that picture, I think we probably, many of us use this if we've had kids, like, you know, our rules are our guardrails. Um, there's this idea of being able to guide and still allow forward motion. Um, still allow the spirit to move us and lead us without guarding and having to be really defensive about a lot of what is coming at us. Because I know Jesus is building his church. Um, I'm not, I'm not fearful that these issues are going to defeat Jesus in that purpose. You know, that can't happen. And so we can continue to partner with the Holy spirit to get, to move, um, to be moving, right? To be a movement again, or be lots of little movements all over the country. Great. Very well said. Thank you for answering these questions. In closing, is there just anything else in your heart that's been bubbling up as you've been 
preparing and in your own personal prayer life as you've been praying about the possibility of becoming bishop. And as we approach General Conference, um, anything else in your heart about the FMC or any of that that you'd like to share with our family? Mm. Well, I love the local church, and I love my local church, and I love uh, the way that God is at work here and the Spirit is moving here. But one of the things that has been bubbling up in my heart about the opportunity to work um, with the church in the USA and globally is just that partnership with our brothers and sisters around the world. Um, how incredibly encouraging and inspiring uh, the churches around the world to me and how much I would learn from leaders in the church, the Free Methodist Church in places around the world. And of course, I don't get that opportunity regularly as I'm leading a local church. So that's something that is very exciting about the role. I'm also a person that loves to explore the world. I do love um, travel and all of those things, but I think that is an exciting part to me that would be different from the role that I currently have. It's just that interaction with leaders around the world on a more regular basis. And all that would um, add to my faith and also my growth in Christ. It would certainly be the richness of our cross-cultural collaboration that not only what we bring to the rest of the world, but what they bring to us, right? Amen. Yes. And it's easy when you are in a place for a while to lose your perspective. Yeah, and true enough. To begin pretty to get pretty myopic about what we think God is doing based on where we are. And so I have always valued the opportunities to work with other leaders in other places, to gather and to travel in the world and um, get a bigger picture of the kingdom. Well, Pastor Kay, I can't thank you enough for taking time to uh, share these thoughts so our church family can get to know you both personally and professionally. Um, it's been a great joy to have you on the podcast. If you want to find out more about the Bishop nominees, you can go to gc23.org slash nominees, and you can listen to podcasts, uh, view videos, and view the uh, resumes of all of our Bishop nominees as we approach General Conference coming up this July in 2023. For all of us at Light and Life Communications and for Pastor Kay, thank you so much for joining us today. And Pastor Kay, God bless you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I, I appreciate you. Bless you.